So we've been talking about the glorious church, and in particular, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, the vocal gifts. I listed four things that we need to do as a church to become that glorious church. And one of those four was the church of the living God needs to rise to the glory of the gifts of the Spirit and begin to operate in the gifts of the Spirit to impact the world. Now, I believe that the gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts that are mentioned there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 11, are for the church, but I believe they're primarily for the world. The world needs to know that God is real, and the world needs to know that God is alive, and He cares for them, and He loves them. And one of the ways you can impart love to people is by ministering a gift of the Spirit to them as the Spirit wills. Amen? But I'm getting ahead of myself. Romans 3.23 has been our baseline scripture that we have been centering in on. In the New King James, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? And, you know, most of us grew up uh, reading that scripture with the emphasis on the sin, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody feel low now, for all have sinned, okay? But the Lord directed me to take a closer look at this scripture probably about 15 years ago. And He showed me that this verse is more about the glory of God than the sin. Now, to be sure, we all sin and we miss it from time to time. But this is more than missing it from time to time and sinning. This is talking about falling short of the glory of God that God saw us walking in before the foundation of the universe, before time itself began. Amen? God saw us walking in a particular glory that He wants us to walk in. This word here, glory of God, if you look it up in the original language, it actually means the viewpoint or the perspective or the expectation of God. So you might look at this verse like this. If you fall short of the glory of God, you fall short of God's expectation for your life. You don't rise to the glory that He ordained for you. You live at some level below that, and God does not want you living at a level below that. He wants you to rise to your fullest potential to the glory that God had ordained for you as an individual. Amen? We need to do this individually, and we need to do this as a church. We need to rise to the glory that God intended, and we need to become the glorious church. Now, we're not going to go over all the scriptures that we've covered the last three or four weeks, but Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2 talks about the glory of the Lord rising on the church in a time of great darkness. How many would agree that right now the world is in a time of great darkness? But now it's time for the church to shine like never before. Amen? Amen. And so we as individuals and we as a church need to rise and become the glorious church that Jesus is coming for. Uh, Paul declared in Ephesians 5.27 that Jesus is coming for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, a holy church without blemish, a church that has not, in my opinion, arisen. But it is time to arise. We heard the word of the Lord came through, through a tongues and interpretation that it's time for the glorious church to arise. Isn't it interesting that I'm teaching today on the vocal gifts, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy, and all three of those gifts manifested here this morning. That's why I was smiling. I'm like, Lord, you just know what you're doing, don't you? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
So if you could get to the slide that has 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 and 7 through 11, Paul talks here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about spiritual gifts. In verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren and sistren, I would not have you ignorant. Let's stop right there. In other words, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying to the church, don't be ignorant when it comes to spiritual gifts. But I dare say a large portion of the body of Christ is completely ignorant when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. What a sad state of affairs. How can you operate in the gifts if you don't even know what they are? Amen. Then down down to verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. That means for the common good. The gifts of the Spirit are to benefit everybody. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now, there are nine gifts listed here, and the thing that I want you to see is they are all coming from the same Holy Spirit. And they are distributed to each individual born-again, spirit-filled believer as the Holy Spirit wills. So make sure you know that you cannot manufacture a gift of the Spirit. If you try, you will fail miserably. I don't try to move in the gifts of the Spirit. I just allow myself to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. It's a whole lot easier than trying to work something up. Amen? Hallelujah. So it's helpful sometimes when you study the gifts of the Spirit to categorize them based on their characteristics and their function. So many teachers have come up with three basic categories of the gifts of the Spirit, and I think uh, these are awesome. The first category that I'd like to talk about is vocal or inspirational gifts. Called vocal or inspirational because they involve speaking and they also involve inspiring. And that is the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. And then the second group is revelation gifts. They reveal things to you by the Holy Spirit that you didn't otherwise know, had no way of knowing. That is word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. And then the power gifts. They involve a release of God's power. Gifts of healing, gift of faith, and working of miracles. Amen. But today, we're going to be talking about the vocal gifts. So, go to slide that says uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. And there in verse 10, we have all of the vocal gifts listed. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So let me start with a definition of the gift of tongues. Diverse kinds of tongues is supernatural utterance by the Holy Spirit in languages never learned by the speaker, not understood by the mind of the speaker, nor necessarily always understood by the hearer. Amen. That's courtesy of Kenneth E. Hagan, word for word. That's why I read it. First of all, I want you to know that tongues is a supernatural sign. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 18. Most of us spirit-filled believers are very familiar with this passage. Mark chapter 16, 15 through 18. Jesus said, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Now, I love this. I said this last week. I'll say it again. I love that Jesus starts his discussion of the sign gifts by the two most controversial, casting out devils and speaking with other tongues. I love that. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So what I want you to see is all of these sign gifts are listed, and tongues is right in the middle. It's a sign gift. It's a sign to people that God's doing something in your life. Amen? That God is on the move, that God is working, that He's real. He can speak. He knows about things. On the day of Pentecost, tongues was a sign to the unbelieving Jews from all over the known world that God was moving in their midst. Amen? Acts chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. It says, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Amen. That's a miracle. Skip on down to verse 11. It says, We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So what does that tell you? When the believers streamed out of the upper room into the city streets of Jerusalem, they were declaring the wonderful works of God in a language that they did not know. They were praying, singing in tongues, whatever. But the thing that I really think is fascinating about this is no matter whether they were actually speaking the known language of somebody there, they nevertheless heard it. I happen to believe that they were speaking heavenly languages to the Lord and the people from all these different nations just happened to supernaturally be able to hear what they were saying in their own language. It says, for they heard them saying in their own language that they're talking about what? The wonderful works of God. So much for the explanation that tongues on the day of Pentecost was so that they could preach the gospel to these people that came from all over the world. That's not true. They weren't preaching the gospel. They were just magnifying and glorifying God. Amen. And these people were able to get in on it because they heard them in their own language, which was a sign to them that God was doing something very supernatural in their midst. Amen. Hallelujah. Tongues is a sign to fellow believers that you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't have time to go through this with the same uh, rigor that I did last week, but Suffice it to say, if you go through the book of Acts, there are five occasions where believers were filled with the Holy Ghost, and you can show that either explicitly or implicitly it is stated there that they all spoke with other tongues. Now, I am sympathetic to the believer who says to me, you know, I had hands laid on me, and I know I was filled with the Holy Spirit because I felt the power of God come on me. But it was several weeks or months later before I actually spoke in tongues. I'm sympathetic to that because that was my experience. I had hands laid on me at a retreat at Grandfather Mountain just up the road from here. And I felt the power of God come on me. I knew something was different. But I was a young Episcopal boy 
And uh, just being born again was a big step for me, you know. And then they said, you know, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I didn't even know what they were talking about. I didn't know how to yield. I, I just wasn't taught. So it was about three months later before I actually spoke in tongues. So I don't want to be dogmatic. If you say to me, you've been filled with the Spirit, you just kind of haven't spoken it out yet. I believe that. But I will say this. The only way that the rest of us will know for sure that you've been filled with the Holy Ghost is when we hear you speak with other tongues. Okay. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Tongues is primarily a devotional gift. This is what most people miss. It's primarily for your private prayer purposes. Okay. And most people don't realize that. They get hung up with, well, tongues has to be interpreted. And if you read the chapter there, chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians, the entire chapter is primarily showing you that tongues is a devotional prayer gift, which is occasionally used in public. And when it's used in public, it has to be interpreted. Amen. And what was the rule of thumb we talked about last week? Who is the audience receiving the communication? If the audience is God, how many know God knows every language, whether it's a tongue of men or angels? He does not need an interpreter. So if you're in your private prayer time praying in tongues, God doesn't need an interpreter. From time to time, you can pray and ask God to allow you to understand what you're praying to edify yourself even a little bit more than when you're just praying in tongues. And it'll happen, okay? But the minute you go in public and give a public utterance in tongues, the Bible says it has to be interpreted because the rest of the people don't understand what you're saying. And in the public service, the emphasis is on inspiring, encouraging, edifying, and exhorting, and uplifting the body. So when you give a public utterance of tongues, that you should give the interpretation. And I talked about Last week there, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 14, 13, I believe it says, let he that prayeth in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Okay, that goes for your prayer life, but it also goes for if you ever give a message publicly in tongues, you should pray that you can interpret. And my rule of thumb is this, and I learned this from experience, that if you give a message in tongues, you should be prepared before you even give the message in tongues to interpret in case nobody else does. Remember I shared last week about how that there was a Bible study in Corpus Christi when uh, Trish and I were stationed there and I felt inspired to give a message in tongues and then I waited for the interpretation because I thought I've done my part. And one potato, two potato, three potato, the proverbial pregnant pause and no one gave the interpretation. Now, it maybe was 20 seconds, but to me it felt like a half hour and my heart started beating real fast. I'm like, I'm totally out of order. And all of a sudden I heard the Lord say to me, you give the interpretation. And I'm like arguing with the Lord. Lord, I don't even have the or thus or uh. I don't even know how to start. I have nothing. And I heard the Lord. Now listen, I don't say this frequently. I heard the Lord say, okay. I prefer to say I felt impressed of the Lord. I kind of felt like the Lord was wanting me to do this. But there have been a handful of times in my life when I know the Lord spoke to me, and this was one of them. He said, you begin to speak, and I'll give you the interpretation. Whoa. What do you mean speak? Just begin to speak. Kind of like when you first spoke in tongues, only this time do it in English. Okay? So 
here I was in front of these people, and we are all standing in the old charismatic circle. You know, after about 20 seconds, and nobody gave the interpretation, I started out like this. The word of the Lord. I mean, it felt like I was just pulling the words out of the air for about five seconds. And then the Lord honored my faith because I did what he asked me to do. I started speaking, and all of a sudden, it just came to me. And I started speaking to a young lady in this Bible study that that very morning she had contemplated suicide because she had been dealing with deep depression. And I called her out and she was right across the circle from me and she started crying. And she said, that's me this very morning. I felt like I just ended all. And, you know, the, the word that came to her was, uh, you know, there's somebody here and you've really been depressed. You don't feel like anybody loves you. You don't even feel like Jesus loves you. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus loves you and he cares for you. Praise God. Hallelujah. So word to the wise, if you give a message in tongues, just be prepared to give the interpretation. and Just trust God to give it to you. Amen. Amen. On the other hand. If you hear a message in tongues and you feel a little spark on the inside of you and you feel like you should give the interpretation, go for it. Amen. You'll be blessed. Everybody will be blessed. Hallelujah. So we got tongues. We got interpretation of tongues, which is what we talked about last week in depth. So I want to sort of move ahead here and I want to talk about prophecy. Prophecy. Tongues, interpretation, and prophecy round out the three vocal or inspirational gifts. Isn't it cool that prophecy came forth uh, through our dear sister here? That was awesome. Awesome. It was great. And one of the things I appreciate about the way that word came forth, it was right in the flow. Right in the flow. You know, the scripture says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That's King James' way of saying, you control when you prophesy. Yes, it comes from the Lord, but you're responsible for giving it at the right time. That includes, if you get a word from the Lord and there's no time ever, no opportunity to give it, then hold on to it and ask the Lord, Lord, if that was from you, then there'll be a future opportunity for me to give that word. And it'll come. Just be patient. Okay, what was happening in the Corinthian church and the whole reason he wrote chapter 12, 13 and 14 is they were so zealous of spiritual gifts. They were all standing up at the same time. Everybody was speaking in tongues. Everybody was prophesying. It was just pandemonium. It was chaos. And Paul had to write to the Corinthian church and correct them. And the beginning of the book of Corinthians, it says you come behind in no good gift. In other words, he acknowledged that they were operating in probably all nine gifts of the spirit, but they were doing it in wacky, chaotic fashion. And he was saying, listen, it's great that you're zealous of spiritual gifts, but you got to do things decently and in order. And in a public assembly like this, the person who's responsible for making sure things are done decently and in order is the pastor. Yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself, but there's another place where it talks about if you give a tongue and interpretation, let it be two or three at most. Okay, And since we're going to find out here in just a minute that tongues and interpretation together equals prophecy or is equivalent to prophecy because it does edify the body. I use that as a rule of thumb for prophetic words, too. 
you know, two or three words is about all that needs to come forth. And then it's time to move on to something else. Otherwise, you get into um, a bless me club atmosphere where everybody starts prophesying to one another. I remember back in 1996, Trish and I were at a minister's conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And there was probably about 200 ministers at this conference. And with this big auditorium and, and the spirit was moving, the praise and worship was fantastic. And then there was sort of a lull there at the end of praise and worship. And I said, oh, prophecy's going to going to come forth. I just feel it in my spirit. Sure enough, one of the ministers got up and man, he just gave this powerful word. It was right in the flow and it was right on target and it was just awesome. And then another minister got up and gave a powerful word. And then another minister got up and gave a powerful word. And then soon Trish and I, we were just sitting there kind of with our heads down and listening to this eight, nine, ten pastors or pastors wives got up and started giving message in tongues and describing visions and it got completely out of control now here's the thing i want you this is kind of hard to get but here's the thing which i understand every one of those words examined by itself was probably right on and probably from god but the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets now Whoever was in control of that service, and I don't remember who it was, should have got up and said, all right, praise God, let's just move on. We've got some, we've got some really great words from the Lord, but let's, uh, let's be doing this decently in order. But it never happened, and it was just a disaster. And after a while, when you've got that many people pressing the edge like that, the anointing lifts. And the Holy Ghost is like, if you're not going to do it the right way, we're stopping this right now. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, definition of the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is supernatural utterance in a known language, as opposed to speaking in tongues, which is supernatural utterance in an unknown language. Prophecy is the most important of the three vocal or utterance gifts for two reasons. Number one, it edifies the body of Christ. It edifies the body of Christ. Remember over there, it says that he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesies edifies the body. That word there, edify, build up, comes from the Greek oiko domeo. Oiko means to build. Domeo means the house. Put it together, to build the house. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue, and in that context, that was talking about prayer in tongues, builds the house of God. Did you know that you're the house that God lives in? Builds the whole house. There was a teaching there for years that when you pray in the Holy Ghost, your spirit gets built up. Well, I submit to you that more than your spirit gets built up, your spirit, your soul, and your body all receive benefits when you pray in other tongues. They did a study at Oral Roberts and found out that people who prayed in tongues, actually it releases endorphins into their body just like when you do exercise. They also found that immune systems were boosted by as much as 40 to 60% when people prayed in tongues. So it is very beneficial to you personally. It is not selfish for you to spend a lot of time praying in the Holy Ghost. It is selfish for you. If you do that and then come to the public assembly and give a message in tongues and don't interpret it, because now you're just building yourself up. Wouldn't it be better if you gave the message and then interpreted it so that you build yourself up and everybody else? Amen. That's the cool thing about tongues and interpretation. You have an opportunity to build yourself up and build up the entire group. Amen. Are y'all getting this? 
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, number one, it edifies the body of Christ. Number two, it's clear in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, which we'll read here in just a minute, that it takes tongues and interpretation of tongues to equal prophecy. The Hebrew word for prophecy means to flow forth. The Greek word for prophecy means to speak for another. So you put those two together. The person who gives a word of prophecy flows forth the Spirit of God and speaks for God. Amen? For the benefit of the body, for edification, exhortation, and comfort. The gift of prophecy is for all spirit-filled believers. You do not have to be a prophet to prophesy any more than I have to be Rembrandt to paint. You give me a paint palette, and you give me a brush, and you give me an easel and something to paint on, I can paint, but it's not going to be a Rembrandt because it's not my nature to paint the way that Rembrandt painted. Okay, So I say that to say that just because you prophesy doesn't make you a prophet. In fact, let me make this really clear. I think prophets are rare. They're fivefold ministers. They're rare. They speak to the body of Christ at large, whether it's your church denomination, your state, your nation, or even the world, they are rare. That does not mean that people don't exist who move in the prophetic, and we welcome that here in this church. People who uh, move in the prophetic, uh, move in word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits and things like that, okay? But that's a little bit different, okay? And as we'll see in just here in a minute, there's a difference between uh, the Old Testament prophet and the New Testament prophet, amen? Hallelujah. I'm so excited. I'm getting ahead of myself here. All right. So the gift of prophecy and the prophet's ministry, the simple gift of prophecy should not be confused with the fivefold ministry gift of the prophet, Ephesians 4.11 and 1 Corinthians 12.28. The simple gift of prophecy brings a word of edification, exhortation, and comfort. But when the prophet of God speaks, he brings forth revelation directly from the heart of God. You may, from time to time, get a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, interlaced with a prophetic word, but that doesn't make you a prophet. The prophet of God flows in revelation, dreams, visions, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits on a continual basis and with a powerful anointing given to him by God. So this passage here in Acts chapter 21 illustrates this principle most excellently. Acts chapter 21, verse 8 through 11. And the next day, this is Luke writing in the book of Acts, and the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, there's a lot here, but the main thing I want you to see here is there is a difference between someone who prophesies and someone who is ordained of God to be a prophet. And right here in this passage, you have both. Okay, it says that Philip, who was a former deacon, now he's been promoted to evangelist, says he had four daughters, which did prophesy. The very next verse, it says, as they tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. 
Now, notice that Agabus brought a word that was relevant to the body of Christ at large. Paul was the leader of the church at that time. And this is a word from the prophet of God saying, listen, when you go up to Jerusalem, bonds and afflictions await you. Okay. Now, I don't believe it was meant to deter Paul from going to Jerusalem. It was meant to prepare him for what was ahead. So this is, this is a perfect metaphor for what the prophet of God does today. And this is a New Testament prophet. The prophet of God today prepares the church for what lies ahead. Amen. Whether it's difficulty, whether it's exaltation, whether it's jubilation, whatever is ahead, the prophet is there to prepare the church for what lies ahead. Amen. Someone who prophesies operates in the simple gift of prophecy, which is to edify, exhort, or comfort. Okay. For example, there was a young redheaded preteen back at our church at Word of Life Center, and she was very, very self-conscious about her red hair and face full of freckles, and uh, I thought she was adorable, but she didn't think that about herself. And I was walking by, she was standing with her mother, and I knew the family very, very well, so there was nothing, there was nothing creepy about this. I just went up to her and I said, I just want you to know that I think you're beautiful. And one day, you're going to grow up, and you're going to meet a young man, and he's going to think you're beautiful, and you are worthy, and you are loved by God. I mean, just, you know, just simple concepts. You know what? That's the simple gift of prophecy that I delivered to this young little redheaded girl. Now, the end of that story is this young lady did grow up to be a very beautiful young lady and met a very handsome young man, and they're serving God and living for God, and it's just a wonderful thing. But at the time, she did not think much of herself. So I felt like I needed to comfort her and build her up, and I gave her a short word, and uh, I really think it made a big difference in her life. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Simple gift of prophecy as opposed to being a prophet. Now, I know this is going to sound, I hope I don't step on anybody's toes, but if you have to declare yourself a prophet, you probably aren't one, okay? If you are ordained as a prophet of God, it will be known. Your gift will make room for you, and ministers of God will recognize that you have that mantle. Amen. Now, none of that is to discourage anybody from operating in the gift of prophecy. Sometimes what we call giving a word or a prophecy to somebody actually is word of wisdom or word of knowledge in operation along with simple gift of prophecy, which we'll get into when we talk about the revelation gifts. Okay. So I got prophecy. Somebody spoke a word over me. They said I was going to do this and this and this. What that is, is that's word of wisdom interlaced with a prophetic word, which is intended to encourage you and uplift you. Okay. And again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Next week, when we talk about the revelation gifts, we'll sort of cover that again. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, Old Testament prophets were primarily foretellers. They foretold the future. New Testament prophets are as well, but not to the same level or degree. Uh, They bring forth revelation to individuals, to churches, to nations, to the world. The New Testament simple gift of prophecy involves more foretelling than foretelling. It brings exhortation, edification, and comfort. So, let's conclude by saying let's learn to flow in the vocal or their inspirational gifts so that we both edify ourselves and our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We're going to shift gears here, and we're going to talk about the road to Emmaus in preparation for communion.
Luke chapter 24, I apologize, I don't have a slide for this because it's a very lengthy passage of scripture, but I want to read this to you because it's so instructive. It means so much to me. And the Lord showed me uh, several years ago that there's a message uh, concerning the road to Emmaus that a lot of people have missed. It dovetails very nicely with communion. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 32. Just hear me out. Follow along with your Bible, if you would. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. That's about seven miles. Now, this is after the resurrection, okay? After the crucifixion, burial of Jesus, after the resurrection. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? In other words, today we would say Jesus sort of just walked up beside him and said, Hey, what's happening? What y'all talking about? And the one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? In other words, he's saying, What do you mean? Where have you been? Don't you know what's been going on? Haven't you heard? Uh, Verse 19, and he said unto them, what things? Jesus is like, enlighten me, you know, tell me what things. And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whether they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. So get the picture here. Seven miles at the average pace of a human being, that's about a two-hour walk. Think about it. Jesus pulls up alongside, hey, what's going on? Well, haven't you heard? And then Jesus begins to school them in the Old Testament prophecies for two hours and expound to them how it had to happen. Jesus had to come. He had to pay the price. He had to die. He had to be raised from the dead. And then they drew nigh to the village of Emmaus, and he acted like he was going to continue walking. In other words, will you invite me in? Will you invite me in or will you just let me go? And you know what they said? Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come with us and let's find a place to uh, stay the night. Let's eat a meal together. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And it was Emmaus. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. 
Now listen to this. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Now there's some things here that I want you to see that have to do with communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about how that many sleep or die because they do not properly discern the body of Jesus Christ. They don't understand that communion is talking as much about the forgiveness of your sins as as it is also talking about the healing of your body. And because people don't discern that, that his body was broken for them, his blood was shed for them, for the forgiveness of their sins and the healing of their bodies, many sleep. Now that's Bible talk for many have died because they have not properly discerned the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So, So here's the picture. Here's the wonderful picture. Seven miles, he walks with them and declares the scripture. Seven is the number of God's completeness and God's perfection. Emmaus was known at the time as a place that had hot springs that had healing qualities. So Jesus takes them to a place of healing. And then he has a meal with them. He breaks bread and they share wine and he reveals himself to them. Now think about it. How did they know it was Jesus? What was it about that meal that enabled them to recognize him? I submit to you when he broke the bread and he opened up his hand and gave them the bread, they were able to see the scars in his wrist. And they knew at that time, this is the one that paid the price for me. And they were at a place of healing. So to me, Emmaus is a giant symbol or a metaphor of the healing power of communion this morning as we take communion let's discern the lord's body let's realize that it's more than just examining yourself for sin examine yourself for sickness and disease and say i've had enough of this Jesus body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me so I can be forgiven of my sin and I can be healed of all my diseases. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit and he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back again. We believe.